0: Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. It's been so busy for the past two weeks. I think it is actually coming up for two weeks since I last did a podcast episode. So I've got lots to talk about and a few more things than I usually do. So I'll try and get everything in to 30 minutes. And it starts off about two weeks ago. And I love stuff like this. It just kind of starting with the theme of any bike can do anything. Because so I was chatting to someone online and they said that they just sold their, I think their Yamaha, Yamaha x Max 250. That's the 250cc maxi scooter type bike. I think he was actually replying to an Insta story I did when I saw this big maxi scooter and I commented on how comfortable these bikes are. And you can take them anywhere. They're they're probably even more comfortable than motorbikes. They've got gigantic sofa-like seats. So someone kindly messaged me on Instagram. They said, I just sold my Yamaha X-Max 250 two weeks ago. And four days later, the new owner messaged me from the south of France. He'd ridden his maxi scooter all the way from England to the south of France, and it just took him four days from actually buying the bike, trusting the bike, and getting it down to the south of France. I thought that was brilliant. Those types of bikes, I know they're often overlooked because they may not be the coolest, but maxi scooters are an amazing, amazing form of transport. And I've had, it's something I've never really considered before how to okay you've got a bike that you really like the look of and you're considering it, and it's on eBay or auto trader or, or somewhere like that where you look for bikes and maybe you go and test ride it in the dealership, but you find that the bike isn't quite right for you that may be that it's for example, the seat height's a bit too high or low, or it's just not comfortable or ergonomically in general, it just doesn't quite fit for you and I had a chat with a BMW R9T owner and I said it's a really nice bike but it's just not quite as comfortable as the likes of the Bonneville and that's because the seats a little bit firm and the handlebars are slightly more aggressive and I had two BMW R9T owners message me and they said well that doesn't matter because all you need to do you get handlebar razors a razor kit and you just put a comfier seat on it and I don't know why but it's something that I've never properly considered. And it's a brilliant, simple idea. And I know it's not a new idea, but I've never really considered it because you can go out there, you can look for a motorbike that you love the look of, and it's so easy to modify. It's not like buying a car. With motorbikes, you know, you go out, Razor Kits, I think they're only about 50 quid or something, and they make a huge difference. For example, with Triumph, I know that well triumph sell razor kits but of course motone tech bike parts they also sell them it's literally just a bit of metal that sits under your handlebars and i think it probably raises it by about an inch or so but you can choose any level of raising that you want and on top of that of course you can buy different handlebars you can get seats custom made i've got a friend of mine who's getting a seat custom made for his triumph speed triple there are so many things that you can do not just looks wise for a bike but things to make that bike more comfortable for you i also know a few people probably if you're under about maybe five foot six or something like that who actually get a seat specially made that's lower than the original seat because sometimes you don't even need to change the suspension on your bike to lower it you can just get a seat specially made maybe take some padding out and i know that makes a really massive difference because even with my Bonneville if I have my thin bench seat on compared to when I take it off and put my king and queen seat on I can tell a very very noticeable difference in the bend of my leg king and queen seat is noticeably higher so I just thought I'd share that it's probably fairly obvious but there are a lot of riders out there who will specifically modify the kind of ergonomics no sorry that's Monica there just working opposite me she got a call but they'll specifically modify the bike to suit their ergonomics or make a bike more ergonomically relevant for their riding style and it's just something I haven't considered but I will definitely start considering from now and I had a message from an Austrian biker and this is something that I've touched on a few times where do you buy a motorbike that's the best value for example do you go to the usa to buy a harley davidson is it worth it with the money that you save buying the harley davidson and does that outweigh the fact that you have to pay for shipping to get back for example to europe and then you have to pay the 20 percent duties is it worth it and I was chatting to an Austrian rider and he said to me, look, I love the look of the Triumphs, but the Triumph Heritage bikes, they are really expensive in Austria and they hold the value incredibly well. He said to me at the time of messaging me, the cheapest flat bench seat Triumph Scrambler, flat bench seat Triumph Scrambler in Austria, second hand 2018 model is nine and a half thousand euros. And they were only 11,500 euros back in 2018. That is unbelievable how well they hold their value. That is incredible. So even now, even now, when I was chatting to him, I found just straight off the bat, in fact, it's there now, straight off the bat, a flat seat. Let me get this up actually, because I've got it on auto trader. Flat seat 2017 Triumph Street Scrambler. It's got that beautiful khaki green. 900cc, water-cooled, 7,000 miles. Have a listen to this. Probably most relevant to any Europeans because the, you won't need to pay for shipping costs. You can just ride it back. But six thousand nine hundred, sorry, £6,695 pounds for 2017 Street Scrambler. In for me, probably the best colour. The khaki green with the brown bench sheet from a dealer. This is from a proper Triumph dealer. So you're not go, having to go to someone's house and hope that they've told the truth on the bike and see if there are any kind of bits that don't match up to the description this bike is from a triumph dealer and it's got seven thousand miles and it's six thousand six hundred ninety five pounds you can probably push that down to six thousand two hundred pounds or so triumphs are very very good value in the uk they hold their value well but they really are very good value so any Probably most relevantly, any Europeans looking for Triumph, come over to the UK and you get a very, very significant saving if you're looking to buy one. If you can wait till the winter, I actually recommended to another European guy who was looking, I said, wait till the winter, come over, get onto autotrader.co.uk or eBay. They're probably the best places to look, but you can get an absolute bargain. And here's something, not exactly motorcycle related but this is something in the news i think from about a week ago that shocked me there's a road in montenegro currently being built by the chinese for one billion dollars but that's not the super interesting bit have a listen to this china could and i'm reading here from the daily mail that's a, a british paper china could seize land from a tiny from tiny montenegro for failing to repay one billion dollar belt and road loan for a 270 mile road to nowhere of which only a handful of miles were ever built So basically, the China Road and Bridge Corporation, which is a state-owned company that's building the bridge with imported Chinese workers, has not yet finished constructing the first section of the 270-mile highway to the Serbian capital, Belgrade. So the first installment on a $1 billion loan from China's state bank is due this month. So that is July 2021. But... But it's unclear whether Montenegro, whose debt has soared to more than double its GDP because of the project, will ever be able to pay it back. So Montenegro's debt is double its GDP. So a copy of the loan contract reviewed by by a, a governing body shows that if Montenegro, listen to this. If Montenegro misses the deadline payment, then Beijing has the right to seize land inside the country as long as it doesn't belong to the military or used for diplomatic purposes. So in theory, if Montenegro don't pay the first set of loan repayments, then in theory, in this contract, it looks like just from what I'm reading, it looks like China can in theory seize some land in Montenegro. Wow. Is that, is that possible? That's going to be really interesting. I'll be keeping a very close eye on that. The Harley Davidson Livewire. Now, I was sent this by someone on Instagram very kindly. Otherwise, I would have had absolutely no idea about this. First things that I do know. Livewire and Harley are becoming two separate entities so Livewire will become a brand in itself and it will lose or drop the Harley Davidson name from its bikes and I've just seen one of the new Livewires and actually they don't even have the Harley Davidson badge anymore it's a completely standalone brand a bit like Buell was which was kind of well I like them but they're the the ill-fated sports bike version or sportier version sportier arm of Harley Davidson they look cool they weren't around for that long but they never hit off so Harley are going again and they split up here we go we've got live wire now I'm looking at the bike it looks absolutely identical to the Harley Davidson live wire except you now don't have the Harley Davidson badge it just says live wire but this is where it gets extremely interesting because where the Harley Davidson Livewire was about 29,000 pounds. It's just way too much, really. It's great what they've done. They, they did it really as a proof of concept to show it could work, but as a, a realistic bike, it, it doesn't really make sense at that price. But Harley da- Davidson Livewire are changing everything. What you get with the new Livewire bike that looks absolutely identical to the Harley Davidson Livewire, you get the same 104 horsepower, The same 146 mile claimed range, which in reality in green mode is 90 miles on the motorway. And you probably will get 146 in town, I think, as long as you keep it in green mode. But you get the same horsepower, same range, same pretty much everything. Uh, Let's have a look. It will be in non-American markets, probably close to the end of 2022. But this is where... Things become a bit game-changing. It looks like the price, if you convert it from US dollars to pounds sterling, will be about 16,000 pounds or 14,500 after the UK EV grant of 1,500. Although I don't like counting that because it's not realistic to keep counting the the British government's electric vehicle grant where they give you money off if you buy an electric vehicle because that will stop eventually when it suits them so the real price very possibly for the live wire may be about 16000 pounds that's a gigantic gigantic saving and that completely transforms the way i would look at the live wire If the Livewire comes to the UK at about 16K, that's a very, very different bike to a close to 30K bike. And that's something that a lot of people would look at much, much closely or much more closely, especially if it comes out at the end of 2022, you never know how much this battery technology may have progressed that by then could they squeeze closer to 200 miles in a range and that's where it becomes very very appealing so I'll keep my eye on that as well this is and this next bit probably a bit more relevant to the UK market see ever since we left the EU ever since the UK left the EU since the first of january 2021 we have had to if we want to drive in the in europe in the eu we have to get what's called a green card before every eu member could just happily drive around work everywhere do everything travel everywhere within the eu no extra paperwork could not be easier but now that we've left if you want to drive in the eu you must have a green card from your insurance provider it's in theory free But insurers will charge you a £25 admin fee to get it, and it will take up to a month to actually receive it. So it's time and it's hassle and it's money. However, it's being dropped. The UK and EU have come to an agreement where it looks like by the 1st of August, green cards will be dropped. You will not need them, so it will save a huge amount of hassle. And also, it will save a lot of the tension that's going on or that may go on in the future with the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, because there are a lot of people who live in one of the countries and drive to another, and it's just a huge amount of hassle, and apparently it could stoke tension between the two countries if you're constantly having to fill out these forms and ask for green cards just to travel across the border. So it looks like that will be going. And I did a survey, moving on. I did a survey on air versus water cooled motorcycles because I've got at the moment on test the Triumph Street Scrambler and it's water cooled and then I put my Triumph Bonneville next to it an air cooled bike and I did a survey on Instagram which is uh, which bike which which do you prefer what do you prefer air cooled or water cooled and I was a bit surprised actually I, you never know exactly what it's like do people kind of hark back to the old school, simple vibes, the character of the air-cooled bikes, but no, water-cooled won it. 60% of people said that they prefer water-cooled motorcycles. That was actually quite a big margin in the end. I was surprised about that. And I've had some messages. This is something where I'm really curious to get your input. And if I do get any input or any replies, good or bad, I will make sure to include them for complete fairness. Because I was chatting away about triumphs and BMWs, and I had a couple of BMW owners message me saying, "Be careful with BMWs because they're a huge money pits." Now, two of the owners that I spoke to had BMW R90s, and they said they're lovely bikes when they're working, but they can absolutely drain you of money. And I'd be really curious, BMW motorcycle owners, please do let me know your thoughts on the bikes because i know as is the case with most german vehicles they're, they're always over engineered they're beautifully made but can they sometimes be a bit too over engineered and does that impact the cost of ownership i'd be so interested to find out so if you send me an email i'll make sure to share these what are your experiences with bmw motorcycles with regards to cost of ownership and also reliability email me at dob.bs at outlook.com dob.bs at outlook.com last week i went with monica to my cousin's wedding and it was An extremely grand affair, beautiful wedding, about as traditional an English wedding as you can imagine. Beautiful setting, weather just held out, lovely old church in a town called Winchester, which has so much history. And we stayed in this beautiful old pub and then we drove down to the church and from the church we then went, went to the reception. And in reception, we were chatting away to the bride's dad this isn't biking related, but it all comes under the same roof because we were chatting to the dad and the car that actually drove the bride and groom away was a beautiful old Citroen from, I think, I think it was from about the 40s, something like that, 40s or 50s, stunning old car. In fact, it was just, it was, they started making, I think just before World War II and I think it carried on till a little bit after World War II. So it's around about the 40s. And that's what the bride and groom were, were driven off in. And just behind that was a beautiful 110 Defender had the, the winch and everything set up for some proper off-roading. Now it was a really eclectic pair of cars, but it was a pair of cars that was obvious, obviously owned by an enthusiast because there are some, some very special cars that you really need to be in the know with those types of cars to own. So we we're chatting away to the father of the, the bride and he said they were both his. Both of those cars were his. The daily car is the Defender 110 and the car that actually drove him away was his Citroen and he was on holiday in France in 1981 driving around on a family holiday and just parked up on the side of the road was this stunning, I wish I could remember the model, but a stunning big black Citroen parked up and it had a for sale sign in it. So he called up the number on the car and said yeah is it still for sale if so I'd like to buy it and he bought it there and then and he drove it back from France back to England and he's kept it ever since 40 years of ownership he does all of the work himself he actually got it mechanically ready for the wedding so I can imagine hearts were in mouths a bit as the engine was turned on and the bride and groom drove off but it started time and I just love stories like that whatever it is if it's a car or a motorbike or whatever just something with a story that connects you and you just you never want to get rid of it it's just such a brilliant talking point and I was at I was at the Goodwood Festival of Speed two days ago went with Monica and we were very kindly invited by Michelin Motorcycles so they put us up in a hotel very kindly they gave us these brilliant hill pavilion passes meaning that all of our food was paid for and we had front row seats to the the track so we could watch all of the cars and the motorbikes go by you had non-stop champagne and wine three meals a day it was the grandest event I think I've ever been to it was fantastic and anyone looking for a really good motoring event whether it's cars or motorbikes I really couldn't recommend this more and they've actually got two they've got the Goodwood Festival of Speed and they've got Goodwood Revival which is for classic cars and motorbikes and everyone dresses up like they're from their 30s 40s and 50s but this is the Goodwood Festival of Speed where you get all of the big car brands there showcasing their latest models loads of stuff I could go on about it forever but I did want to bring up one point about a couple of interesting bikes and bike companies that I saw in the stands one of them is a company called Dot Motorcycles, that's a British company, I think they went bust as a lot of British vehicle companies did in the 60s, but just last year they're being brought back with Kawasaki 650 engines and they look really cool. About 17 and a half K, so they're on the expensive side, but what you get with that is a very, very special limited run of really focused bikes, they look very impressive. And one of the stars for me, and I, I've mentioned this, I think, about three or four episodes ago. Fantic. I was so happy to see Fantic having a stage there. They've got a range of bicycles and motorbikes and also enduro bikes. But the bikes that really catch my eye are the Caballeros. And I had about a 10-minute chat with them. But before I, I go into the chat, I'll just give you an overview. I think it is an Italian I think it may even be Spanish Italian or Spanish company they make brilliant value great looking retro styled motorcycles they've just started or not just started but they do actually bring them over to the UK to sell them in the UK not through Fantic dealerships but through kind of third-party dealerships I know they've got a crazy horse for example in southeast London they're about six and a half thousand pounds for the 500cc version and they're scrambler style bikes. They're about 150 kilos. They also make them in 125 and 250s, but they are absolutely superb value. I, I was really, really interested to see what these are like because they look so fun. And actually I was chatting to an ex, an ex Triumph Street scrambler owner and he told me that he actually sold his Triumph Street Scrambler to buy a Fantic Caballero, and that that really did surprise me. To sell, you know, a very very kind of aspirational scrambler and sell it for a cheaper, a cheaper bike. But he said it's the best decision he's ever made, and he's, he was kind enough to send me a few pics over, and I do understand it they look absolutely stunning these bikes and value for money and smile per pound per horsepower i'm not sure if there's anything that that could beat these i know that the royal enfields they're very good smile per pound extremely good value but i think and i really do hope that these fantics will be a big player in the motorcycle industry because i think they've got everything needed to be an absolute hoot on real roads about 40 horsepower or so but I was hugely impressed and to see them finally in the flesh the first time I've ever seen them in the flesh I was absolutely delighted I cannot wait to hopefully get to try one of those because I think that looks like one of the most fun bikes I will ever have ridden and I won't go into too much detail because I did a YouTube video of it, but a few days ago I went off-roading on the Street Scrambler, and this kind of leads on from that, because the Street Scrambler did surprise me, and I did check the official Triumph website. It's 223 kilos, dry weight, without any liquids in it. That's stated on the official Triumph website, and I took it off-roading, and I basically got the most stuck I've ever been, and it kind of emphasized in my mind when I was stuck with this bike, trying to get it down a hill, weight and tires are absolutely everything they're everything for motorbikes going off-roading that you forget about any type of rider modes or anything if you've got rider modes for these off-roading bikes all they're there to do is try and disguise that the bike's probably either too heavy or that it doesn't have the right tires one other thing that kind of hit home very strongly to me is that horsepower And I remember this from the Triumph Scrambler 1200 XC. And I I was told this and reaffirmed this actually when I was talking to the guys at Fantic. Horsepower doesn't matter. If you're off-roading, you don't need more than 20 horsepower. You want the lightest bike you can possibly get and you want off-road focused tyres. So that got me thinking. And that has moved me on now to my bike of the week. And in that vein, after having done a few different now off-riding motorbiking sessions, I thought, okay, let's have a look. What can I find that's a cool looking light bike? What does it have to be for you to genuinely enjoy off-road biking that I've learned over my few often failed off-roading attempts? It must be light, really it must be cheap because you need to have a bike that you're not worried about dropping. You need to have a bike that you're not worried about dropping. If you drop it, you can easily pick it up, you can get back on it, you can redline it. Because for off roading, riding it to the limit, to the limit of the bike, is where the real fun is. You don't want to just be using 10 or 20% of the power of a bike. So I'm looking here at a few enduro style bikes, and I'm on Auto Trader because I was curious. I would like a bike that ideally looks cool and fun on the road as well. So I want something with a bit of style. I want something that ideally, I I don't want to be spending more more than 3000 on it. Uh, Japanese stuff's always good because it's reliable and rugged. So here we go, I've I've taken, usually I put bikes that are about 10 years old or newer, but I've taken that out of the equation for this because I'm more focused on a bike that will get me to an off-road track or put onto the back of a trailer and just have a bit of fun off-road. Light-hearted, simple fun, in other words. Here we go. Yamaha. The first one that comes up, a Yamaha DT200. Now, this is a bike from 1990. Incredibly, it's about 31 years old, but it's £2,800. It looks brilliant. Classic 1990s Japanese styling in the best possible way super high suspension knobbly tires 200cc bike with 20,000 miles for 2,800 pounds and it's actually comes from a bike dealership that's brilliant then you've got a Benelli Trails bike 2,900 from 1974 one of the coolest looking bikes I've ever seen let me know if Benelli are reliable because I'm not familiar with the brand and I'll just give you two more just to show you what is on offer There's a Husqvarna, a Husky is available. Do you know what, this may even be too big for me. This is a 577cc bike. That may even be a bit too powerful for novice like me. But 2,990 pounds, that looks like an absolute weapon off-road. That's actually quite, quite tempting looking at that. Blue seat yellow front mudguard that's completely ready to go proper knobbly tires on it with an aftermarket exhaust and i'll give you one more and i'll go for i tell you what i'll go for oh there's a kawasaki 125cc do you know maybe i'd want i think i'd want a 250cc minimum this is one i'm glad this has just come up because these hondas have a great reputation honda crf 250l Remember this if you're keen on looking at some enduro bikes, because these have a great reputation. Honda CRF250L with 23 horsepower, 25,000 miles on the clock. It's a Honda, so it will go on forever. White and red design, gold forks, looks absolutely Perfect, and it's three thousand one hundred and fifty pounds. That may actually be my pick because it's only five years old. It's three thousand pounds. You you get it down to two thousand nine hundred properly, probably, and that may be the perfect bike for me to get more into some off-roading. And that's it. I'll leave you there. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, and I will see you in the next one. Have a brilliant week all.